Let's face it. As leaders, we are being challenged every day with new expectations and new realities. Our almost post-pandemic era is requiring us to challenge what we know about leadership and to develop new ways of doing things. And that's what we're going to be talking about today on Experience Leadership. Welcome to Experience Leadership, a podcast that challenges small business owners and entrepreneurs, just like you, to dare to be the exception. Join our host, customer experience expert, Mark Haynes, as he uncovers relevant and timely content to help you script and direct your business and teams to create jaw-dropping experiences your customers and staff deserve. Here is the host of Experience Leadership, author of Lights, Camera, Action, customer experience expert, Mark Haynes. Welcome to this episode. I am your host, service expert, and master of experiences, Mark Hain. I am so glad that you are taking your time today to join me because my guest today is leadership expert, Andrew Bryant. We will be uncovering how today's leaders need to adjust to new expectations that they have and that others have of them. So stay with us. Between the stories of the great resignation and the quiet quitting that is dominating the airwaves, subtle, more important facets are affecting today's businesses. If most of us were not trained to be leaders in the first place, how can we expect to learn and pick up the new skills required to evolve for the new era of leadership? And that brings me to my question of the day. What are you doing to develop your leadership chops? Go ahead and share your experiences on social media and make sure that you hashtag it, Experience Leadership. That way we make sure that you're part of this conversation. As I mentioned, my guest for this episode is the founder of Self-Leadership International. As the world's leading expert on self-leadership, Andrew Bryant has just published his third book, The New Leadership Playbook, Being Human Whilst Successfully Delivering Accelerated Results. Andrew is a sought-after international speaker, having spoken on stages around the world. Andrew, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Mark. Thank you for the invitation. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about what you do for your clients. So, in your introduction of me, you say I, I speak on stages around the world. And yesterday, I was on a stage in Lisbon, or on a stage in Lisbon, in Portugal. And I asked the audience who were learning and development and HR professionals, what is the cost of lost leadership? And this is exactly what I do for my clients is I help them understand that there is a cost to not developing your leadership. Now, if people are watching your show, they are already interested in learning and developing. Because when I posted on social media this morning, some pictures from that event, people were saying, you know, if only people understood what that cost was, you know, leaders, organizations ignore it. And I responded in the comments, yes, because they don't realize they're part of the problem. So nobody wants to think, well, actually, I'm costing the organization. I'm even costing my own organization money because of my inability to learn and develop. So what I do for organizations is help people to close that gap without people feeling too bad about themselves. Wonderful. 
You know, at the top of the top of the show, I mentioned the tag words that are coming out now in our vernacular, quiet quitting, the great resignation. What's going on in workplaces as we're entering this new era of the almost post-pandemic world? Well, what's happening is that there is a huge increase in people's level of autonomy because during the pandemic, people had an opportunity to choose their own work schedules to self-regulate. And if we're talking about leadership, I think we should always take a step back and say that leadership is a process and leadership is a function of three things, the leader's style, the follower's motivation and skills, and thirdly, the environment. So, you know, what's changed is the environment and what's also changed is the motivation and skills of the followers who have said, well, hang on a moment, I've, I've had a taste of freedom. I've had a taste of innovation and creativity in my own space. You as a leader need to update your style. And that's what shifted. And so what do you think then when it comes down to kind of leaders capacity, where are they falling down? Where, what skills are they missing in order to meet this new challenge? Very simple. Conversation. So a recent study that I got my hands on showed that only 8% of leaders are engaged in dialogue on the digital platforms that they have internally, whether that's Yammer or Teams, or even publicly like LinkedIn. So leaders are very good at broadcasting. I mean, that's how they got to the top. They're good at pushing out a message. But what the employees want is they want dialogue. They want to be part of the decision-making process. Instead of the leader saying, okay, well, this is the problem we faced and this is the decision I've made, they want the leader to say, this is the problem we're trying to solve and you're part of that solution and what ideas do you have? So simply put, conversational dialogue is the multiplier for leadership in this almost post-pandemic world, as you call it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when we're looking at the way that leaders are behaving right now, we're seeing quiet quitting, we're seeing great resignation as kind of a major consequence. Are there more subtle consequences that leaders should be aware of to indicate before the quiet quitting or before the great resignation happens? Are there any indicators they should be aware of as far as their team dynamic or as far as their culture is concerned that might be indicating that they have an issue? It's a great question. I tend to think my First degree was in physiotherapy, you know, a subset of medicine. And sometimes the first symptom of a heart attack is death. And sometimes, as brutal as that analogy is, sometimes people don't know, you know, somebody resigned, right? But in the new leadership playbook, I talk about 12 specific conversations that leaders need to be having with their people. And one of those conversations is a career conversation. And leaders hate having career conversations because they're terrified that somebody's going to ask for a pay rise. But career conversations aren't necessarily about pay. They're about development. They're about engagement. They are about conversation. And so if you're having career conversations with your people, then you will get the signs and symptoms. It's like me going and having a, you know, a regular cholesterol test as a 61-year-old male because I don't want the first symptom to be death. Right. It's interesting because it does require a semblance of humility by the leader to understand that he doesn't have all the answers. Do you find that that's a challenge for for leaders to overcome right now? It is because, you know, for decades, we've created this false expectations that leaders are superheroes, that leaders have all this list of amazing traits. And if you go on to social media, there are all these memes, leaders are like this, leaders are like this. The list is so long, it might as well include can turn water into wine and walk on water. 
leaders are human beings. And as I said, leadership is process. People are in process. I I think about myself as version 6.1. If I look at version 5.0 or 4.0, I'm almost embarrassed at where I was because it's been constant learning, constant evolution. So I think if we can overcome this expectations that leaders should be perfect. I coach C-level leaders, have been for over 20 years, and even the best leaders only make seven out of 10 good decisions. But because we raise them up and they're supposed to be perfect, nobody dares tell them, I'm not sure you're making the right decision here. And what I would tell employees is that, you know, if you're the passenger in a car, particularly the front seat passenger, and you see the driver's eyes starting to close and them drifting across the central line of the road towards oncoming traffic, you would say something. But we have falsely set leaders up in this expectation that they have to be perfect and nobody can challenge them. Now, the humility that you speak of, and for me, humility comes from the Latin humilitas. It means grounded. It doesn't mean perfect and it doesn't mean weak. It means grounded. This is what I'm good at. This is what I'm not good at. And good leaders surround themselves with people who will wake them up if they're asleep at the wheel, that challenge them around their weaknesses. And you know, when I set teams up, I always try and pair people as much as possible. And I do some leadership in volunteer organizations, and there's there's no more test than than leadership in a volunteer organization. And if you compare, you know, let's say so two people are in charge of marketing, two people are in charge of finance, then if one is one's got a blind spot, somebody else can pick it up. And so complementary skills is very important for leaders to understand. I don't think that's any loss of ego. That's no loss of face. I think that's just smart. Hmm. Well, you know, and you hit the nail on the head because if you're going to take your car to get the brakes repaired. Would you go to a guy who does tires, <laughs> right? It's like, you know, would you, if you needed heart surgery, would you go to somebody who is a brain surgeon? He might be capable and understand the heart, but wouldn't you prefer to go to a heart surgeon rather than go to a brain surgeon? And- well, this this analogy is a little bit too close to home for me. Is last year, I got the health scare. They, they found a big lump that needed to be removed from my abdomen. Yes. And the surgeon said, well, we're going to remove a third of your colon and 10 centimeters of your small intestine. And I just looked him straight in the eye and said, are you any good at this surgery? Now, this was in Singapore and Singaporeans aren't used to being challenged on their efficacy and their competence. But And he said, well, yes, I am. I spent a year studying just this technique and I get great results. And I said, okay, you can do the operation. But had he said, I'm kind of okay at this, if you were in my position, you'd have got a second opinion, right? (laughs) Anyway, good news. Happy ending to uh, a tough story. I'm here talking to you today and all and I'm glad well, you're helping. I'm, I'm happy. Yeah. yeah. So we're good at what we do, but not at everything. And the other element of humility that I think gets missed is that a humility is also the ability to consider other perspectives as equally valid as your own. And that makes us very humble because we go, well, you know, actually, this is my viewpoint, but I might be wrong. And leaders that can actually say, well, you know, this is what I was thinking, but I'm I'm interested in knowing your perspectives because I might not have the best idea in the room just because... I'm the highest paid individual in this team or the one with the the highest status, I might not have the best idea in this situation. And I think that's true humility when when leaders can can facilitate the best of others coming out because that's what leadership is, isn't it? It's a process of influencing the realization of group goals in a way that people best can contribute. I think I think where the real difference happens now is this mindset that as a leader you are surrounding yourself with subject matter experts. We hire, like even even in the simplest of operations, maybe a restaurant, 
you know, your dishwasher knows a system and a process because he does the work every single day. It behooves the leader to come in and say, I don't like the way you're washing dishes. And the question then becomes, why? Are they coming up dirty? No, no, I just don't like the way you're doing it. And one of the conversations in the book is the feedback conversation. And I use a very sticky framework, FIF, right? Fact, impact, future. Hey, Simon, when you unload the dishwasher, right? Thanks for doing that. I noticed that you don't stack things, all the glasses together, all the plates together, all the knives and forks together. I noticed that they're all thrown together on the surface. What do you think the impact of that is? Well, I don't know. No one think about it, right? If it's all a mess, what happens? Well, it takes time for other people to sort it out and we can't find what we want quick enough. Great. What do you think you could do in the future? Well, okay, I could line up the plates and the dishes and the knives and the forks. Great. Fantastic. Simple conversation. But you know, so many managers and leaders fail to do that FIF conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's so interesting. There's so many different components. And before we dive deep a little bit deeper into your plays, I'd like to talk a little bit about your framework for accelerated results. And I'd like to do that right after this. When the spotlight shines on your business, are customers applauding or yawning? In other words, how is your business performing? Make your business a star with a new book, Lights, Camera, Action, Business Operational Excellence Through the Lens of Live Theater by Mark Hain. Mark uses his business and acting experience to help you see your business like a live show so you can create a performance your customers will never forget. Buy Lights, Camera, Action today at your favorite online retailer or directly at markhain.com. Welcome back. I am speaking with the author of the new leadership playbook, Andrew Bryant. Andrew, why don't you tell us a little bit about this new book? You alluded to it just before the break, that it was something that was commissioned, but tell, maybe dig a little bit deeper into uh, what people can expect by picking up your book. So what people have said to, about the book is that most leadership books are written at 35,000 feet and they're theoretical or principle-based. This is very practical. I looked at 12 conversations that leaders or managers have badly, and I knew that they were bad from my own experience. And the client said, hey, our managers are struggling to have these conversations. And before the break, I mentioned the feedback conversation. So I looked at a framework because people like models and and people need can't just have 12 conversations. They've got to be stuck together. And over nearly 25 years of teaching, facilitating, coaching leadership, I realized that expectations, clear expectations, times mindset and motivation times right behaviors equals accelerated results. So it starts with clear expectations. So one of the things I've been saying for as long as I can remember whenever working with managers is go buy yourself a mirror. And they go, what? I go, because if you're not getting results from your people, go look in the mirror and see what you're doing because they are following you. And setting expectations is a failure we all have because it's clear in our head. I know exactly what I want. I know exactly what it should look like, sound like, feel like, but I haven't transferred that to you. And a fun thing I always ask if I've got a group of managers in front of me, I said, have you ever said to people, do you understand? And they all nod, yes, I've asked that question. I said, right. And what do they always say? They always say yes. And I said, do they understand? And they say, no, they don't. And I say, yes, they do. They understand what they understand. They just didn't understand what you wanted them to understand. And whose fault is that? So the clear expectations comes first. Then comes mindset and motivation. So if people don't have buy-in, Simon Sinek, you know, has got famous with his TED talk on Start With Why. 
if people don't have the mindset of buy-in, if they don't have the mindset of growth, and they don't have motivation, they don't feel that if they put in the effort, they will improve and they will feel a sense of reward, then that will reduce your results. And finally, right behaviors. And we, before the break, talked about the, the dishwasher example. What are the specific behaviors you want to see people have? Yes, this is brilliant. I imagine that people might be watching this going, oh my goodness, this is sounding so special. Could you just let everybody know how to get in touch with you? Sure. Well, the easiest place to find me is selfleadership.com. So I wrote in 2012, the book, Self-Leadership, How to Become a More Successful, Efficient, and Effective Leader from the Inside Out. So self-leadership has been my topic and it has been back since 1999. And you can get in touch with me there. And I'm all over LinkedIn, Andrew Bryant. Just search me up and you will find me there. Terrific. And we will put all the links in the show notes, including a link to this brand new book you just wrote. You divided your book into 12 distinct plays. Why did you choose this this idea of like a playbook as an analogy? Well, actually, my the beginning of my life, as I said, was as a physiotherapist, and I actually worked with sports teams way back in the 1980s before positive psychology had been coined by Dr. Martin Seligman, before sports psychology had even existed. And so I was used to the mindset and drilling visualization and then the execution of a play. And in North America, with American football, you know there's the concept of a play. Players learn a specific play. It's numbered and they run that play, which is a set of behaviors. So I called it a playbook because these conversations are in themselves a behavior and they result in behaviors. So getting a leadership book from 35,000 feet down onto the field was what my intention was. It's not easy because you want to write a play that is general enough for people to apply in different industries, whether it's pharmaceutical, manufacturing, retail, etc. But I looked for those, the 12 that happen all the time. And that's why the book got written, I guess. So, you know, we we know that, especially when there's behavior issues, and a lot of what you're talking about is about these 12 different kinds of conversations, that there are kind of lead indicators that you have a weakness, that you have a need. How does one filter through to figure out if what they're experiencing is something that's inherent to kind of their lack of knowledge, because we don't know what we don't know, versus not being skilled and being able to cover it? Like, understanding that I have a problem. I know I have a problem, but I don't know how to fix it. But we also have this, I don't know what I don't know kind of condition. Well, yes. Well, I mean, if if people actually accept that there's things they don't know, when we're back to the humility story that we talked about earlier, because there's a thing called the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is a cognitive bias that people are ignorant of their own ignorance, which is terrifying. So if people uh, accept, look, there's a whole stuff bunch of stuff I don't know, educate me. That is a the great attitude. I actually use that leadership framework as a diagnostic, right? Did I set the right expectations? Do they have the right mindset? Are they motivated? And what are the right behaviors? So if we're not getting results, I would run through that leadership framework as a diagnostic. Sometimes if we're looking at individuals within the organization, I was talking to one of my clients, Patricia, and she was saying, look, I, we promoted this guy and he was doing really well in his previous role. We promoted him and he's not, it's not working out. What do I do? And I said, well, in my book, <laughs> sorry, because <laughs> she had a copy. I said, go to the chapter on talent and strengths. And there is a, a framework in there on C-O-W, which beautifully spells cow, so it's easy to remember, capacity, opportunity, and willingness. 
when we're diagnosing an individual employee, do they have the capacity to do the role? You know, is the, are they in the right opportunity and do they have the willingness? So in this, the willingness is the mindset and motivation. So it links back to that framework and diagnostic. Do they have the capacity and is this the right job, right? I mean, some people could be really amazing if you move them into a different role. Some people just get promoted into the wrong position or they just get hired into the wrong position. So I took us through this and I said, is it an issue of willingness? No, he's trying really hard. Is this the wrong opportunity? Possibly. Does he have the capacity? And she said, I'm beginning to seriously doubt he has the capacity. And I said, well, now you know what to do. Yeah. And it becomes, so to your point, this becomes a diagnostic for people to be able to run through. I'd like to get into some more examples of some of the plays. I know you have 12 of them and you could probably, we could probably do an episode for each one. However, we have limited time, but maybe just some highlights of uh, other plays you think are really important. And we'll get to that right after this. Attention meeting and event planners. Is your company or association planning a live or virtual conference, seminar, staff retreat? Are you looking for a fresh, energetic perspective on what it takes to put on a jaw-dropping experience for your customers or staff? Book customer experience expert Mark Hain for your next group event. Past participants have said, Mark kept us in stitches while teaching us how important and powerful actually designing our customer experience can be. Read more testimonials and find out how Mark can serve you and your group at markhain.com. That's M-A-R-C-H-A-I-N-E.com. You've mentioned now as a tease, some of these plays that you have, each one is surrounded by its own framework. What would you say are kind of the heavy hitters out of those 12 plays that you think a leader today needs to be aware of in order to move their business forward? The most heavy hitting is number 12, which is coaching. And it's the most heavy hitting because it needs the other 11 plays for you to be able to execute it. So I've been a coach since the 1980s, and I know that it's now much more, well, it's hugely popular now. It was unheard of when I first started doing it outside of sport. So it's the most heavy hitting. And so it's the hardest to explain. We would take a whole episode to even scratch the surface on that. So instead, let me answer with the things that my clients come back and say, hey, you know, this made the most difference in the shortest amount of time. And I think that might be useful. So I talked about the feedback, the FIF fact impact future. But, the, but what happens if you've given feedback and there's no behavior change? Uh, Jim Collins said, get the right people on the bus, get the wrong people off the bus. How do you have that conversation? And people are terrified of having that conversation. And because they think it's the final conversation, we talked about what's the symptom before <laughs> the end. So the crucial conversation is one. Now, there's a whole book on crucial conversations, and you can go off and read that. In my book, I've given a very simple idea. Put the fish on the table. Now, I learned this early in my career, if the fish is under the table, it'll rot and stink. If you put the fish on the table, we can cook it and we can eat it together. And the ability to say, hey, look, this is something that's bothering me. All right. I don't know with you. I don't know if it's me, but I, I have an emotional response to this. Can we talk about it? 
Now, there's a huge cultural framework. I've worked in Asia for 18 years. I'm in, back in Europe now. I fly in and out of the United States all the time. You know, some people are much more direct. I mean, if this was uh, Germany or Holland, they don't even need this play because they would just tell it to you, right? In other places in the world, you have to kind of give a muck feedback. You kind of have to give people the sweetness first and then get to the meat or the, you know out inside the bun. But the reality is, say, look, I need to have a fish on the table conversation. And in the organizations I've taught this to, it becomes part of the culture. So it's a bit like radical candor, but it's a little less brutal. Some people have mis-executed radical candor because radical candor requires a high level of support before you challenge the individual. Right. But with the fish on the table, I could say, hey, Mark, you know, this has happened, right? We need to talk about it, right? And for you and I, it's our tech issues. You know, you and I have to have a fish on the table conversation about our tech issues. Now, you're going to giggle about this. The audience won't know. But you and I struggled to actually get to talk to each other today because <laughs> there were tech issues, right? Yes. And we could have a conversation about those. And because of that, you're able to then say, we'll put all the cards on the table and it becomes a safe space to be able to have those conversations, even if it might end up badly, where you might be discussing how you separate ways. Yep. Absolutely. Look, there's some really good stories about people who have fired somebody and then that person, you know, turned up you know, six months later in the office and you're like, oh my God, they've come to say that, you know, they've, <laughs> they're taking us to court or whatever. And there's one particular story I remember, you know, the ladies in the, you know, the guy can see through his office that this lady he fired six months ago is there. And uh, he's, she's asked to see him. His secretary says, you know, Christine wants to see you. Christine comes in and she said, I just came because I wanted to thank you for firing me six months ago. I was in a bad space. I was in the wrong role. You did me the biggest favor. It was the biggest wake-up call. I'm now doing what I really love. And I want to thank you. On the flip side, the number of executives I've coached that have let somebody go, and pretty much they always say, I wish I'd done it six months ago. And the reason is they couldn't have a fish on the table conversation at the right time. Right. And and personally, I equate it to what we do with our customers, right? We, have, we always have to have aftercare with our customers. And I know this is going to sound really strange to people when they say we're separating ways with our employees, but I have to ask, what does your aftercare look like? Because you've been in a relationship with your employees. If I think it behooves us to do it in such a way where we're degrading people, where we're shoving people out the door with security guards and all this. I mean, there's time and place for that when it has to happen. However, the majority of what we do is, to your point, it's about how can we still be that service component to that employee to help them make the transition and move on to something else that they would be better suited to. And it's all about that service. Look, it absolutely is. And I think you know, people have a very short-term view of, you know, who are your brand ambassadors? I mean, particularly mm -hmm. in the day of, you have Glassdoor, you know, you can dial up Glassdoor and see what people think about the CEO of an organization and the organization. And you know, when I'm engaged to to work with a company, I, I Glassdoor them because I want to know, you know, <laughs> on What are outside, people saying? Yep. Uh, what are people saying? And, you know, <laughs> You know, what is your ex saying about you? So, you know, if you if you go back to the days when that happened, if your exes are saying, you know, he was a horrible person, then you, it might curtail you actually finding the right person in your life. So yeah, make sure people are happy on the way out. Yeah, yeah. It takes just a smidgen of extra effort. To your point, Andrew, in your book, you talked about this human component. I mean, it's in the title. 
And so this idea now that we have gone from the industrial age where we were hiring people for their hands and then the knowledge worker age where we had their hands and their brains, we're now in the relational environment now where it's going to be the hands, the brains, and the heart. And how do we support that? And I know some people will watch this and go, this is just a lot of woo, 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 woo. But there's something, you know, when I read, when I skimmed through your book, I actually bought your book yesterday and I I skimmed through it. And a lot of what you talk about is this thing about having these conversations that are human focused. They are. So I talked about being human whilst delivering accelerated results. And let's be fair, if you're a manager or leader and you are not delivering results, your tenure is limited. If, however, you burn your people out, you won't be able to deliver results and your tenure will be limited. Now, you can't get less woo-woo than the US Navy SEALs. And they have a maxim, which I included in the book, which is slow is smooth, smooth is fast. And, and I think that really gets it in terms of the, you know, the relationship. It may feel like it takes a little bit longer to build the relationship, to have the conversation, to get the buy-in. But once you do, the execution is very fast. We're back to that, you know, if I had six hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend five sharpening the axe, right? So it really it is. I, and look, I'm an, as I said, I'm version 6.1, being 61 years old. And I look back at the mistakes I've made, and they were all human ones. They were all shortcutting, pushing my agenda without checking. You know, so we need to all remember what Maya Angelou said. You know, seek first to understand, and oh, oh sorry, that was Covey. Seek first to understand, and then be understood. Yes. And then Maya Angelou, which is of course, people don't care how much you know; they know how much you care. So with those two quotes, I think. It's now part of my DNA. I, you know, I, I validate people. I find out what they need. And then my agenda comes out. But that, that's just assertive communication. And that's in the sure. book too, of course, which is, can you articulate your needs, wants, and beliefs in such a way that it encourages the other person to express their needs, wants, and beliefs, or vice versa, encourage other people to share their needs, wants, and beliefs. And then you have the reciprocity say, that's fantastic. And here's what I need, want, and believe. And Imagine the clarity that, that that creates. I know. I, know. I mean, it, look, and as you said, people watching this are going to go, well, that's either deep or that's really simple. I mean, sometimes expressing the obvious in simple ways takes a level of, of, of insight. And one of the biggest compliments that I got from the book was a very senior leader said to me, Andrew, I like the books that the book's not too big. And I said, you know, I was wondering whether this was kind of a sarcastic backhanded comment. He said, because I appreciate that to make it short took a lot of depth of knowledge and understanding. And I went, oh, I feel really good about that. That was that was a great compliment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and it's, I, I looked at it and I thought, you know, this is a book that somebody could buy with their team. And I think I think people could sit down with their leadership team and do this as a monthly or bi-weekly book reporting thing where you cover a chapter, you sit, you discuss it. You and What a way to shift your culture to be more open and more transparent than to share something like your book, sit through it, workshop it through, because you also have a lot of, lot of components, a lot of questions in there as well. And then being able to sit around a boardroom table and great clarity among the team, I think would be magical for, for a team. I'm not going to disagree with you there. I think it's a great suggestion. <laughs> and again, I wrote the book and I said, you know, read it through once and then you know, have it on your shelf, have it in your desk drawer, because you're going to have one of those conversations on a regular basis. And you might want to go, I'm about to have a feedback conversation. I'm about to have a, a career conversation. I'm about to have a talent conversation. Hang on, let me just 
There was a there was an myself. in there. I need to remember yep. it. And go back to that. I also recorded eight-minute videos of each of the plays. Uh, it ended up being 16 eight-minute videos. I put that on my LMS and a few of my clients have licensed that material to put on their own learning management system so that you know you can read the book or you can just, hang on a moment, I'll play the video on my phone for eight minutes and then I'm ready to go. Wonderful. Andrew, are there any cautionaries if, as somebody's watching this and saying, yeah, you know what, you're right, I have to make a change. Are there any cautionaries people should be aware of as they kind of delve into becoming this more human human leader as they, they try to push forward what they need to do in their businesses? Well, that's a good question. And I'd like to give a moment to think about that. I My immediate answer would be to avoid guardrailing, which again is an American expression, isn't it? You, you go too far to the left and then you bounce off the guardrail and go too far to the right. You are who you are. And you know, it's an evolution, as we've already discussed. And I think adjust at a rate and speed that people can follow you. Otherwise, they, you know, I mean, we've had experiences of people coming out of a management seminar and going, I'm going to do it all. I'm going to coach everybody. And somebody comes into their office and says, hey, boss, I got this problem. That's fantastic. How do you think you're going to solve it? And they go, I don't know, boss. I came to you because this is your... No, but what do you... you know? And it's just too much of a guardrail. You know, they've gone from sure. do this, do that, to I'm not going to give you any answer. And I think that would be a mistake to, to guardrail it that much. So evolve, add to your skills. I mean, as a coach, my job is often to bring out... Well, it's always to bring out the best of an individual rather than to shove new information in. And you know, way back when I learned coaching, back in the 1980s, there was a very famous coach. Well, he wasn't famous then. He came from famous Sir John Whitmore. And Sir John ran this experiment. And it's a very old video. And it's quite hard to find these days. But he did this experiment. He took a golf coach and a group of people who'd never played golf and a coach who'd never played golf, right? Which was him, I think, at that time. And so the golf pro had an hour to teach golf. And the coach had an hour to teach golf and he didn't know how to play golf. Now, obviously the golf pro said, you know, you hold the stick this way, you bend your knee this way. And it's a whole pile of information goes in. And anybody who's played golf knows how this feels. The coach said, what, what's the objective here? To hit the ball straight and far, right? So you've got a club, you've got a ball, take a swing, see what happens. So they take a swing, you know, it goes off to the left, goes off to the right. So, okay, what do you think happened? Well, I think it went off to the left. So what do you think you need to do well, let me try this. Did that make it better or worse? It made it better. Okay, so let's do more of that and less of this. <laughs> now, at the end of the hour, the two groups get together and they shoot golf balls. And you know what happened. The coach who didn't know how to play golf got better results than the golf pro. So asking the question, engaging people's natural intelligence, that is what's going to make you a great leader. Well, and to your point, you know, the, the golf pro is teaching all the mechanics behind it so you don't fail. Whereas the other yeah. coach said, let's fail and see what happens. And what did we learn yeah. from it? And so that's Thanks. a completely different mindset when, when it, and I think we, as leaders, I think that's a great metaphor for how a lot of times how we do lead the, the difference between micromanaging versus coaching and becoming yeah. that, that guiding influence rather than the one who's going to tell people where to go and how to get there. Yeah. So one of the guys I coached was a guy called Daryl Medzger. And Daryl was, at the time I coached him, CEO of Sentosa Leisure Group, which is uh, looked after Sentosa Island in Singapore. Daryl was ex-Disney. He'd been the leader of, uh, for, sorry, he'd been the CEO of the Hong Kong Yacht Club. So he'd moved around various high-end resorts. 
And he was a great guy to coach. I think I learned more from him than he learned from me. And I remember being on stage with him at this conference. And he said to his people, he said, I want you to fail. Just don't make your mistakes more expensive than mine. Let me tell you about the story that I cost the Hong Kong Yacht Club a million dollars, right? And he he told this story, was very humble, and he made a mistake. So he said, look, you're going to make mistakes. That's okay. Just don't, you know, I'm the CEO, so you can't make bigger mistakes than me. Now, and it was fantastic because it was a service-based, you know, it was Sentosa Leisure Group. You know, they had the resorts world moved in there. So they had a theme park. They they had high-end real estate and and beaches for people. So all sorts of different things. The day that Daryl left as CEO to go on to his next venture, I was in their offices. He, he was packing his own cardboard box of stuff to leave his office. There were people in the corridors weeping that he was leaving. And that is a mark and measure of a leader when people cry when you go with sadness, not with joy. Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, we, we all have those experiences where somebody has had such an influence on us that when they do leave, it's a sad time because, you know, again, this and again, this is an organizational issue is how do you then manage that kind of a transition when somebody like that leaves your organization. I have a sneaking suspicion, Andrew, that you and I could sit for hours talking about all this stuff. It is just so brilliant. And it's so brilliant that I came across you and managed to get your book and managed to get you on this show. As we wrap up, do you have any last thoughts about what we've been talking about today? Well, as I said, I was was on stage yesterday um, in Lisbon talking to learning development and HR directors. And I kind of, I always like to leave with a challenge and an inspiration because they're the ones that have to facilitate learning and development in organizations. And I started with, you know, what is the cost of lack of leadership and, you know, in terms of hiring, retaining, developing, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I said, look, you know, it's kind of like what the world needs now is confident but humble leaders. You and I have talked about that. But what the world needs now is an end to this ignorant certainty and an openness to the ambiguity and the humanity that you and I have been talking about. And that's what I want to leave you with because I I think that's really motivating me. It's becoming a passion for me these days is to say, yeah, I know you want to deliver results and I'm happy to help you do that. But let's do it in a way that's not ignorantly certain. Let's be open to the ambiguity that we don't know everything and that other people within our organization might have the intelligence. And so we build diverse and inclusive organizations where nobody has a monopoly on a good idea that we find the best idea and execute that. And how much more innovation will people create because they take down that mindset? This has been absolutely fantastic. Andrew, could you just remind everybody one more time how they can get a hold of you? Easiest place to find me is selfleadership.com or find me on LinkedIn, Andrew Bryant. Wonderful. And make sure you check out Andrew's book. It is on Amazon, it's on Kindle and on paperback. Andrew, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here and sharing your knowledge, your passion, your expertise. There it is. Like I said, I bought it last night on Kindle because I I was so intrigued by the notes that Andrew had sent me that I wanted to uncover a little bit more. And I can't wait to sit down and really get down and dirty with it. So thank you again, Andrew, for your time today. It's been absolutely brilliant. If you have any questions about today's episodes or would like a complimentary 30-minute brainstorming session with you and your team, please feel free to book yourself on my online calendar. The link is down below. It's the one that's marked meetwith.markhain.com. As always, I am at your service. And if you haven't done so yet, why don't you go ahead and subscribe to this feed and, of course, follow me on social media. My name is Mark Hain. I hope you stay safe, stay healthy, 
And I hope you dare to be the exception. Thank you for joining us this week on Experience Leadership. Make sure you visit markhane.com for a full directory of available episodes. While you're at it, if you found today's content valuable, please share it and tell your friends about the show. As Mark says, knowledge is power, but only if you share it. Be sure to tune in each week for the newest episode. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and dare to be the exception. Thank you.